is my privilege to introduce to you this morning a local ministry that Bethel supports called Prodigal Daughters. And Prodigal Daughters takes into their residential facility uh, women who are struggling with different life issues, addictive issues, so on and so forth. And they teach them not only the Word of God, uh, but they teach them life skills. And so uh, Denise and her husband Joe uh, run the organization. And so she's going to share a little bit. And then I think Carly is giving her testimony this morning. So we're thankful to have them here. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having us. My name is Denise, and my husband's name is Joe. And uh, like he said, we are the founders of Prodigal Daughters. I'm not going to speak too much right now. I'm going to have Carly do her testimony first. She is one of the newest members of Prodigal Daughters, her and her daughter. So here she is. I'm a little bit tall. (laughs) Praise God. Good morning, Bethel. Thank you so very much for giving me the opportunity to share with you this morning what Jesus has done for me in just this short amount of time that I've been here. This is the first time that I'm giving my testimony, so bear with me here. (laughs) Um, I'm just going to kind of start. In September 2019, um, my father passed away from a very rare disease called amyloidosis, and it shook our family. It tore us apart. Um, It was very hard. Um, Within two months of that, me and my daughter had been a victim of continued domestic violence. It ended up in a domestic violence shelter in Bradenton. Um, I wasn't sure how to cope with the things that were happening in my life, and I turned to the only thing that I ever knew, and that was a 14-year prescription drug habit. Um, I thought I was at my bottom, um, and and I wasn't. Um, About five days after that, Child Protection Services showed up and removed my daughter from me. Um, Yeah. Um, I thought that was my bottom, so I I wasn't. I, I turned to a harder drug of choice. And not long after that, I ended up in jail. And, um, (laughs) um, (laughs) yeah. So um, right after that, I um, checked into a local rehab. Um, I was there for 30 days. Um, Within a week of me being there, I was put on nine different mental health medications, one of which they told me that I would have to continue to stay on in order to stay off of drugs. And if I didn't take it, that I would become physically ill. Um, once I got out of rehab, I was in a fog. I, I don't really remember much of what I learned or retained anything. And it was hard to function and to go back to normal life. I, I couldn't keep a job no matter what I did. It, just, it was tough. It was hard. And I had a little girl that I was literally fighting to get back that was now in the custody of the state of Florida. So um, I knew something had to give, and no matter how hard I was trying to save myself, I fell woefully short every time. Something was missing, and I just didn't know what it was. Um, Soon after that, I had a relapse, and I started using again. I I just didn't know what to do with myself. And um, um, God kept showing me that... um, I needed to give in. I needed to do something. My uncle works for the Manatee County Sheriff's Office, and he told me about a home in Bradenton and Sarasota County called Prodigal Daughters, and it is the only home that accepts women and children. So um, that kind of pushed me a little bit. I had other options that were 12 months. This one was 18, and I was like, 18 months of my life. Oh, my gosh, like, that's a long time, right? Well, it's not. And it's exactly what I needed. Um, Within two days, uh, my grandmother dropped me off. Denise accepted me in. Um, Within 30 days of me being at Prodigal Daughters, I was off of every single one of my mental health medications. Every single one. And I was thinking clearly. And something was happening that I had never experienced before. And I could hear God's voice. And um, it's amazing when you realize that. You know, like, wow. He cares about me. He loves me. He wants me to succeed. I started figuring out things that I never knew about myself, whether it was a food that I liked or the fact that God blessed me to steward his child and to be her mother. And no matter what I did, that was one of my goals. Um, While I was focusing on the love of Jesus and learning to walk with him, Denise and Prodigal Daughters worked very closely with the Safe Children's Coalition and, um, I have my daughter five days a week with me right now. 
So, yeah. <laughs> She's here today. <laughs> and um, I have a permanency scheduled for March 2nd. So, it's really changing my life. Um, and I've only been at Prodigal Daughters for 90 days. Um, a little bit over 90 days. My uh, four months will be February 7th. Also, they've been working with the drug court, and my felony drug charges are being dropped. They're in the process of being dropped. I will no longer be a convicted felon. So, well, I haven't been one yet, so thank you. Praise God. Um, you know, he showed me uh, mercy that I didn't deserve. Um, no matter what I did, no matter how hard I tried, I just couldn't do it, and I, I had to give in. I had, I needed a Savior, and it was Jesus Christ, and, you know, um, I can thank Denise for her yes and for letting me into her home, but it was him who changed my heart. He took my heart of stone and made it a heart of flesh. Um, I also, I didn't say this part, but in May, I was having a hard time breathing, and I went to, finally, after my mother convinced me to go to the ER, I found out that I had a pulmonary embolism, a blood clot in my lungs. I almost died. And he brought me back from that. I work out, you know, three days a week. I can run. I can lift weights. I can do things I never thought that I would be able to do again. And he's completely changed my life. Um, one of the things that he's changing for me is I have been in the dental field for 14 years. That was my uh, career. And he's moving me away from that. Uh, I will soon be starting school to pursue a law degree. And I want to fight for those who don't have a voice, for those whose voices have been taken away. Um, you know, and I, I want to do, there's good in the world. Jesus wants to see good in the world. And that's what I want to do. Um, Jesus is what was missing in my life. And an 18-month discipleship was what I need to let Jesus ready my circumstances, to move on with my life and to be a good mother to my daughter. And um, Prodigal Daughter's Journey Home is not just the name of a place of a home for me. The journey is what he prepares us to, for what we were born to do. Praise Jesus. I'm thankful for you guys letting me share a little bit of my testimony with you today. And um, I hope you guys have a great rest of your week. I'll let Denise wrap up. <laughs> First time, that's amazing. <laughs> um, okay, I just wanted to uh, say that her testimony is not unusual. These girls come here with their children and they're broken and they're desperate and they need Jesus. Uh, there's applications, stacks of applications uh, for girls that want to come in and uh, we're lacking the room. You know, our, our that was our heart when we first started this so that we could get girls like Carly and bring them in and mentor them and teach them how to parent their children and teach them the life skills that they need. Uh, so far we have been in the county and they are giving us a permit to uh, operate uh, more with more children and more women. They have given us a, they're going to be giving us a permit to build a 14 bedroom add-on because we don't have enough room. It's, it's uh, difficult to turn away these girls and these babies when you know that this is the only home here in, in the bottom of Florida to help them. <clears throat> I am very grateful for this church because you have been supporting us for quite a while, and that's what we need, the support of the community to come in and pray and uh, walk alongside of these women. Uh, it's, you know, my husband and I, we need a community. You know, it takes a village to raise children. And, you know, these are like our children, these women, and our grandchildren, their children. So, you know, people come in to teach and to just pray with the girls. Uh, financially, you know, uh, not just giving one time. We need, a, we need mem you know, lifetime members to help because we want to continue prodigal daughters and to have enough room so that whoever needs the help can come in. So I'm uh, very grateful for the community very grateful for each and every one of you. I see a few people who come in and teach. And uh, they t they came in and taught the pastor's sermon the last time. And, you know, they retain it. You know, they, they're hungry for the Lord. They're hungry for his word. So I'm very, very grateful. We will be out in the front. Uh, we have pamphlets. We have uh, papers that we can give you if you'd like to become a, um, you know, a, a monthly member, a monthly uh, supporter, 
and we will send you newsletters what's happening with the county and when we will be uh, trying to raise some money to build that 14 bedroom. Um, the girls can tell you that if one baby's up, the whole house is up. <laughs> so they really need their space <laughs> to be able to, you know, function the next day. It's, it's, it's a trip. I am just so grateful that God has chose me, me, the one that didn't deserve to be his, his vessel because I was where those girls were 40 years ago. So my heart is for them, and God's heart is for them, and I thank you for having us. God bless you. fascinating testimony if you ever talked to her and I love to hear her say prodigal daughters daughters uh, you tell where they're from so we do support prodigal daughters we also support the foster care system so where your daughter was at and you know one of the things that I hope that you take away uh, from the testimony and from Denise's uh, work there is that Jesus can make a difference and he can work in ways that pills and governments cannot work and so we want to be involved as a church because the church can make an impact because we have the best news. We have the best solution. And so we are excited to come alongside of you. I want to pray for them, and, um, and then we're going to sing some more and then open God's word together. So will you stand as I pray uh, for prodigal daughters this morning? God, there is so much to be thankful for. And and in the midst of a, a, a wild year in 2020, uh, in many ways it was, it was clarifying and it, and it drew attention to the things that are most important. And, and it really highlighted uh, the place where the church, uh, the true church just came alive and it's preaching the word, it's preaching truth, and it's making an impact in the world. And so I'm thankful that as a church uh, we can preach and we can teach and we can also support these ministries that are the, your hands and feet in many ways, doing amazing things. And, and you're doing all this work through these willing vessels. And, and I just pray uh, that as folks like Carly find themselves at the bottom, that there they would find Jesus. And they would find that he can take a life that maybe others would discard as useless and, and spent, and he would take that life and redeem it into something beautiful, into something marvelous, and something productive and fruitful uh, for your kingdom, God. And so I pray you continue to bless them as they work on permitting and work on this new home. And I pray that they could bring even more women and more children into their facility and that we could be even more involved with them as we watch your church grow on their facilities as well. God bless us. Uh, help us now to worship you well. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. to see. 
There's hope for the hopeless. All those who say, come sit at the table, come taste the grace. There's rest for the weary, rest that endures. Earth has no sorrow that heaven can cure. Earth has no sorrow that heaven can cure. So lay down your burden. morning. We thank you for our chance to come worship you, to lay down everything in front of you this morning, and to give all that we have. God, I pray that the words that would come out of my mouth would not be mine, would be yours, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Again, I'd like to welcome you here this morning. If you're visiting, my name is Ryan Mayer. I'm the youth slash associate pastor here. I like to start off with that because if you're visiting and you don't like me as a preacher, I can tell you I don't preach every Sunday. So you can come back next week and hear Sean. So it at least it gets you here two weeks. Okay. Um, if you have your Bible, you can go ahead to turn to Philemon. We're going to be looking through that. This morning, what I wanted to do is we're, we're going to start off by reading the whole book of Philemon. And a couple reasons for that. One, it's only about 25 verses here, so it won't take us super long to do it. Another reason is I love the fact of being, you being able to leave saying, I've read through an entire book of the Bible. Maybe you never have. Maybe you've just become a believer. Maybe you're working your way through and you just, you've never actually sat down and read a whole book of the Bible. So this morning, you'll be able to leave church saying, I did it gone through an entire book. And the other reason is when we study scripture, because of the length of the Bible, we obviously don't read the Bible, the whole Bible every Sunday. And we don't read, most of the time, we don't even read the whole letter every Sunday if we're going through a letter. And so I think sometimes when we do that, what we do is we tend to forget the fact that these were originally written as letters to believers. And so most of the time, when you get a letter, if you get a letter anymore in the mail, or maybe you get emails or whatever, you don't tend to say, okay, I'm going to read the first five sentences of this email today, and I'm going to just chew on that, and I'm going to grasp that, and then I'll come back tomorrow and read the next five sentences. You read the whole thing. You may go back and read certain parts, but you read the whole thing. So this morning, I wanted to start off by reading the whole letter. So if you have your Bible, you can read along with me. It'll also be up on the screen. 
It says, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphia, our sister, and Areopagus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ Jesus. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake I prefer to appeal to you, I, Paul, an old man, and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus. I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to me, to you and to me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. For this perhaps is why he has parted from you for a while, that you might have come back with him forever. No longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of you owing me, even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping that through your prayers I will be graciously given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you, and so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Be with your spirit. So there, you've made it through the entire letter. You've read an entire book of the Bible this morning. But I want to, we're going to kind of focus in on some of those verses here and, and harp on them. But first thing before we do anything else, I want you to think of someone that gets you really mad. Someone that just kind of makes your skin crawl. Maybe it's not someone that if you see him, you're going to punch him in the face. But just somebody that just, it doesn't matter what they do. They get you mad. Now, unless you are better than me, we can all probably think of someone if you don't have anybody in mind whatsoever, you're either lying or you really need to talk to me afterwards because I need to figure out how you are such a forgiving, loving person. You should be preaching this. But as I was preaching this, what I started out first was I started out with, who is someone that just gets me mad? Someone that's wronged me, someone that's hurt me. For some of you, it might be somebody sitting in this room. It might be somebody you work with. It might some, be somebody you've known for years. It might be somebody who you knew well and you've had a falling out. But this morning, in everything that I say and everything that I go through, I want you to be thinking about that person. Because we're called to forgive them. Now, many times I know we're, we all know we're supposed to forgive. If you've grown up in church at any period of time or you've been in a church, I'm sure you've been told, forgive. Let it go. Sean opened this pa the passage this morning on 70 times 7 we're supposed to forgive. We know we're supposed to, but it's not easy. So my hope this morning is we're going to look at a story of a guy who was called to forgive someone else who severely wronged them. And if that man can forgive, we too should be able to do the same thing. So before we dive into kind of the verses I want to look at, we need to know what's going on, what's happening in this story. And it's one of the things I love about the Bible is that you can pull different parts of the Bible to make the full story. So this letter is being written after the events of Acts 27. Paul has been thrown in prison again, and in that time, he decides 
I'm sitting here anyways. I'm hearing about the church. I need to write some letters. And so he's sitting in Rome. And what we're going to see in this story is we've got a few main characters. We've got Paul. He's the guy writing the letter. We've got Philemon. He's the guy the letter is written to. Which you might say, well, there's some other people that are listed here. But if you notice, he starts off with Philemon. And then as he starts working through the letter, the pronouns he uses are shifting to Philemon's the guy that's supposed to really hear this letter. So Philemon's the one receiving the letter, and Onesimus is the one that the letter is written about. He's the whole focus of that. And just so for a little backstory here, Philemon would have been a wealthy man living in Colossae. And we know he's wealthy because he's got a church meeting in his house. And at that time, the churches would have been meeting in the houses of wealthy people because they had more space. They had the ability to house them. So he's got a house church that he is there, whether he's in charge of it or not, it's meeting at his house. And we also know that he's living in Colossae because when you look at Colossians 4, 7 to 9, Paul writes, Tychicus will tell you about my activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that we may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, they will tell you of everything that has taken place here. So Paul is sitting down and he's writing a church to, or he's writing a letter to the church in Colossae, which is our book of Colossians. And that letter is going to get delivered. And so Paul figures, if I'm writing one letter and it's already going to get sent, I'm going to send a second letter with it. Philemon is that second letter. Colossians is written to the church in general. This is what you guys are doing. This is how you need to work on all of that. Whereas Philemon is written to this individual man in this church. So we're going to get and we're going to see that it says Tychicus is going back with the letter and Onesimus is going to go with him. Why does he send Onesimus with that letter? And to understand that, we need to realize there's a little bit more to the story. Onesimus used to be a slave in Colossae. And he cheated his master. Most commentaries say they believe he stole something from his master. And he ran. Somewhere along the line, he ends up in prison in Rome. And he meets Paul, and Paul starts talking to him about Christianity, starts talking to him about what it means to follow Jesus. And Onesimus becomes a believer. Philemon is also a believer that Paul converted before as well. So why in the world are we looking at two believers that are a thousand miles apart from each other? Because that master that Onesimus ran away from was Philemon. Now, I don't know about you, but that would be one crazy coincidence. I just envision Onesimus, is, he's arrested and he's in prison and he's put near Paul. And he starts talking to Paul and he eventually becomes a Christian. And Paul starts getting more and more of his story. And Onesimus is like, yeah, I was a slave. I, w- I was a slave in Colossae and I, I stole, I ran away. And Paul goes, oh, I've got fellow, there's a church there, fellow believers. I got a good friend there. I got somebody who I actually was the one who brought to the Lord. His name's Philemon. And you can almost see Onesimus just go, yeah, that's the guy. That was my master. I don't know about you, but you can say that's a coincidence To me, there's a reason why Onesimus ended up in that prison a thousand miles away and why Paul was in that prison. Paul knew both men. Paul had actually converted both men. And so he starts having this discussion with Onesimus and he tells him, you need to go back and you need to make it right with that master. So Onesimus is going to go back, but Paul figures, 
I, this might not go well. So let me send a letter back. Take this with you. So this is kind of the backstory of the whole letter here. Three men, two of which I'm sure hated each other. Because Philemon, sure, is not a huge fan of Nesimus, the fact that he ran away from him, the fact that he took something from him. And I'm sure Onesimus did not like Philemon. If Philemon was a good master at that point, why would he have run away? Now, we don't know. Maybe this was all before Philemon became a believer and Philemon had changed and Onesimus had ran away before and had never met the person. But we've got two men that most likely hate each other, that don't ever want to see each other again. And then on top of that, Onesimus has to go back to his master, which the actual law back then was... If a runaway slave, if you caught them, if they came back, Philemon could do whatever he wanted to Onesimus, even up to the point of killing him. So Onesimus is going back with this letter in his hands, having no clue if this man is going to kill him. So since we know that now, again, remember that person that you just can't forgive. And look at verse 8. Paul says, Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake I prefer to appeal to you. I'm going to stop there for a second. So what is Paul saying here? As he starts to write this letter, Paul starts off by basically saying, Hey, I'm bold enough to tell you to do what you're supposed to do. Do what's right. I'm bold enough to just tell you, do it and don't question me. But he doesn't do that. Why doesn't Paul force Philemon to forgive him? I think it's because we all realize forced forgiveness is not true forgiveness. You see this when you're dealing with kids or when you were a kid. How many of you at some point were fighting with your siblings and the fight is kind of waning down and your parents come in and they break it up and then they say, what? Say you're sorry. Hug your sibling. Those are some of the roughest hugs you can have when you've got two siblings that are like, fine. Like, okay, whatever, I'm sorry. We all know that's not really a true sadness of what you've done wrong. Now, as a father, and I'm sure my parents forced me to forgive because we realize that I'm showing you the importance of why you should forgive. I know in this moment, I'm forcing you to do it. But because of your age, but because of who you are, because of trying to teach you, I'm going to force you in this moment. But we know that that is not actual forgiveness. Forgiveness has to come from somebody who wants to do it. So this morning as I preach and as we're going to go through this and stuff, I can sit here and I can tell you the Bible tells you to forgive. You have to forgive. You have to forgive. But when it comes down to it, you in your own heart have to make that decision. Paul had every right as the spiritual authority of Philemon to tell him, I'm sending Onesimus back, treat him as a brother, no questions asked. But he didn't. He said, yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. I think the other reason why he does it is because he starts off there in verse 8 with the word accordingly. Accordingly is one of those words, kind of like when they tell you whenever you study the Bible and you see the word therefore, you're supposed to look back and realize what that word's there for. Maybe you've never heard that. That's what I was always taught. You see, therefore, it's their way of saying, look back at what's happening before this. Accordingly is kind of the same way. So when you look back, we, didn't, we just read it here. Paul spends those first couple verses 
talking about how great of a man Philemon is. And don't you just hate that? You ever had somebody tell you, I know you'll do the right thing. And you're just like, ugh, I don't want to do the right thing. Ryan, I know you're a good person. I know that you're loving. I know that you're a forgiving person. So I know that you'll forgive them. And there's just something in it that goes, I don't want to be a good person right now. I'm tired of biting my tongue. I'm tired of not saying what's on my mind. I want to blow up on them. But no, no, I'm better than that. I can't do that. Paul here is, you could say being sneaky, or you could say that he's also got faith in Philemon. He goes, I've just listed off how people are saying how good you are and how you're doing such great things for the church. So because of that, I know I don't need to force you to forgive him. I don't need to force you to make that decision. You'll do it on your own in your own heart. But again, when you're angry and you're upset with someone, even though you know you should do something and even though you know you're the type of person that can do that, it doesn't always make it easy. It doesn't make it work out well. But then he says, I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus. So Paul throws out here, I'm an old man. Now, based on the timeline of events, he's probably around 60 years old. But to a lot of you, 60 years old, that's young, right? Whether or not you think 60 is young is probably determined how young you are. Probably some kids sitting in here going, 60, that's ancient. That's like my, my grandparents' age. That's all old. To a lot of people, even myself included, I sit there and I go, 60, that's not old at all. What we also got to remember is Paul's 60 looks very different than a lot of our 60s here. You read in Corinthians where he talks about the fact that he's been shipwrecked, that he's been stoned, that he's been beaten four or five times that he's been left for dead, that he's been imprisoned. I kind of envision Paul's one of those guys that you meet him, and he's got this joy in his face that you could see he's happy, but man, he's weathered. Remember, he's sitting and writing this while in prison. So why does he throw in there, I'm an old man? Is he trying to make Philemon feel bad? Like, man, I gotta listen to the old guy. I mean, I just, I've gotta listen to what he said. He's probably wiser than me. I think he's appealing to Philemon, realizing the respect he should have for Paul. Think about you've got that person in your mind that's really, really upsetting you, that's really hard to forgive. Now, think about somebody that you hugely, hugely respect. That when they say something, you just stop listen. you just stop talking and just listen and think of that person telling you to forgive think especially if that person has been through something similar or worse paul's writing as a man who he says not even as an old man but as a prisoner of christ jesus paul is showing the type of forgiveness, saying, I'm able to do it. You should be able to do it as well. So he moves on. He says, I appeal, I appeal to you for my child, Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. So he calls him his child. Why? He calls him his child because he's the one that brought him into the faith. And I think he does that too because in Philemon's mind, it makes those two equals. They're both spiritual children of Paul. And I'm sure, as hard as it is, it's probably easier to forgive a family member than it is somebody that you know but not super well. Now, you might be sitting here saying, Ryan, the person you're telling me to think of is my brother, is my cousin, is somebody. 
And that might be true. But in a lot of cases, we're able to look past a lot of faults of people that we are even closely connected to. So Paul says, I'm writing this letter on behalf of Onesimus, my child. Formerly, he was useless to you, but now indeed he is useful to me. That's a play on his, his name. If you look down, probably in most of your Bibles, it's got a little number next to his name. And you look at the bottom and it says, Onesimus means useful. That's what his name means, useful. So Paul's writing Philemon telling him, I get it. When you had him before, he was useless. Maybe that's... I guess he was given his name as a younger child, but maybe it was one of those where they call him Onesimus because he's useful, but it's really like when you call somebody really tall, tiny. Maybe that's why they called him. I don't know. But he's saying, I know he's useless. He was at one point, but he's not anymore. And when you don't like somebody and when it's really hard to forgive them, you don't want to be equal to them. I'm sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. So Paul actually, first of all, if you notice, has still not even gotten into his request of what he's asking Philemon. He starts off and he starts talking about all the good stuff about Philemon. And he's saying, I appeal to you on behalf of Onesimus. He still doesn't ask him what he wants. But he says, I'm sending him back to you. I don't really want to. I want to keep him. But why am I sending him back? Because I don't want you to feel like you're forced to do something. And I think he also does it because it forces Philemon to deal with Onesimus. Paul could have kept Onesimus with him in prison, sent a letter to Philemon and said, Hey, Philemon, I've got Onesimus. I know he was useless to you. He's really, really useful to me. I want to keep him right now. And Philemon probably would have said, Great. Keep them. Because now I don't have to deal with them. I don't got to deal with this person over here. If the person you're angry at is in our church, and I'd sit there and say, hey, I, wanted to, I want to start a new church, and I'm going to take this person with me, you'd be like, oh, great. Take them. Because I don't want to look at them on Sundays. Now I don't have to deal with them at all. Paul could have kept Onesimus a thousand miles away from Philemon. But he sends him back because he tells Philemon, if you end up sending them back to me, I want it to be because you really thought that that was a good idea. But I want you to see this man face to face. We don't know exactly how the letter got delivered. I always think through weird things like that or I'm just sitting there thinking, what if Tychus walks in and he walks into the church and he goes, hey, Philemon, Paul wrote this to the church in Colossians, in Colossae, and he wrote this other letter, and walking behind Philemon is Onesimus. Or walking in, Onesimus is just kind of standing there, and Philemon's staring at him going, what in the world are you doing here? He doesn't know exactly what's happened yet. He hasn't opened the letter I wonder if it was one of those things where Tychus is like, Onesimus, um, come with me, but maybe not come into the room. Like, let's, let's see what Philemon does first after reading the letter. Let's see what his reaction is, and then maybe have you come in. We don't know. But I'm sure, still at this point, Philemon is dealing with anger. He's dealing with resentment. And Paul, now as he gets into 
Well, well, we'll come back to that in a second. But then he says, I prefer to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be of, of compulsion, but of your own accord. So I want you to make the decision. Then he says, for perhaps this is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever. Paul, all throughout his letters, is constantly focused on the fact that he believes God is behind everything. That he believes there is a 100% purpose to what's happening. And so he throws that in to Philemon. Hey, Philemon, maybe he ran away so that he could become a Christian, so that he would come back and actually be useful to you. Maybe that's the plan. Now, I don't know, as you think of the person in your life who angers and you upset you, I have no clue what they've done to you. Absolutely none. But have you ever thought about maybe the reason something happened is because God had a larger purpose? And you might be sitting here going, oh, okay, Ryan, yeah, that's easy for you to say. That's easy for you to say because who are you angry with? What in your life has ever happened that has messed you up? And what I've been through to a lot of people in this room is probably nothing. I'm sure if we could take time that every one of you gave a story, we would see some incredible stories of hurt and pain that you guys have been through. But I do know that we serve a God that knows everything that you've been through. He knows why you've been through it. He knows how it worked. And he knows what his purpose is for it. I can't question that. And I can't sit here and tell you, well, this is 100% the reason. Maybe this is why it happened. Maybe this is why it happened. I could probably throw out ideas to try to help you. But Paul is telling Philemon, be aware of the fact that God is always moving. God is always having plans. And maybe this was his plan all along. He needed you to lose him so that he could become a believer. So now here we are, we get into the request, okay? He's saying, I'm going to treat him no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and of the Lord. This is where the radical nature of Christianity comes in. Paul says, I implore you to forgive this man, to take him back, and treat him better than you did before. Who does that? Who does that? Our response most of the time is, I'll forgive them, but I won't forget what they did. That's not forgiveness. And again, I don't know your situation. But saying, I will forgive them, but I will not forget what they've done to me. That's not truly forgiving. Now, it doesn't mean if something, you don't put yourself in a situation for that to happen again. But what it means is Paul is telling Philemon, I want you to take him back and I want you to treat him better. How in the world can we do that? How is that possible? The only way it's possible is through Christ Jesus. We serve a God who when he was hanging on the cross... And people were mocking him and spitting on him. What does he do? He looks down and he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. 
That's what Christ showed us. We see a guy in Paul who's been beaten, who's been thrown out, who was left at one point, was stoned. They dragged him out of the city, and they just left his body there because they thought he was dead. And he forgave. We don't know why God has done any of this. We actually don't even know the end of this story. We see Paul make the appeal. We see Paul have faith that that Philemon's going to make the right decision because we see him say, confident of your obedience. I'm sure you're going to make the right decision. So prepare a room. I'm going to come visit soon. And I assume Philemon forgave him just because this letter probably would not be circulating if Philemon got it and was like, no, I'm not doing that. I'm pretty sure he wouldn't be passing that on to other people. Probably would rip it up and get rid of it. So most likely Philemon did forgive him. Church history would actually show that there was at one point a bishop of Ephesus named Onesimus. They don't know. It could have been him. We don't know. But when we read this, what we can take from it is we see a man who had every right to be upset and to not forgive somebody. And we see Paul writing him, telling him, that's not how this works. I don't know what anybody has done in your life. I don't know how anybody has hurt you. I don't know the pain that you've gone through. But Christ does. And to truly, truly move on and to make a difference and to let Christ work through your life, you've got to be able to forgive. Is it fair? No, it's not fair. You might be angry with someone right now that has no idea you were even upset with them. And they get to go about their life like nothing happened. That's not fair. But it's also not fair that we were forgiven for what we've done. We're told even at this point, Christ is at the right hand of God advocating for us. Telling God, no, Ryan's good. If he's doing that, how can I not forgive what people have done to me? The only way your heart's going to change is through Christ. So if you stand, I'm going to go ahead and close us in prayer. I pray that you ask God to deeply help you with any wounds you have, to forgive. And if you need anyone to talk to about it, I'm here, our elders are here, Pastor Sean's here, Pastor Jason. We have a prayer team. Anybody that you need to talk to, talk through it. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. You've given us the example of what forgiveness looks like. And it's not fair in our minds sometimes that we might have someone that we don't think deserves forgiveness. And we have somebody who's just not worthy of it. God, I pray that you help us to realize that we're not worthy of the forgiveness that you've given us. That you have cared so deeply and loved us so deeply that we can give it all up to you. And we're not going to be able to forgive those in our own strength. We can't forgive the people that have hurt us through sheer willpower, but only through you changing our hearts. So I pray this morning that that would be what you do, Lord, that you change our hearts, that you make us more like you, that we too would be able to say, Father, forgive them. In Jesus' name, amen.